We're the fourth winningest franchise in the league since 2000. All right, that means in the upper quartile of winners, we're in the top quartile of that upper quartile. That's rare air. Hello and welcome back to the Upper Quartile Podcast. I am your host, Jim Iello, and I am joined, as always, by James Boyd, our Colts beat writer here at The Athletic. James, they're they're two and one. Honestly, like I didn't expect it to be talking to you about a two and one Colts a leading the AFC South Colts team after the first three weeks, but here they are and a gutty performance yesterday against the Ravens, pulling it out in overtime. Matt Gay is a friggin' superhero out there. I know nobody talked about Anthony Richardson being a superhero, but it was Matt Gay actually took the cape this week. I mean, you were there. What was kind of your biggest takeaways from the game? Obviously, Matt Gay, but like we'll have lots to get into. Zach Moss. Shane Steichen being just a uh, a funny guy trying to pull some stuff on Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> Lots of good stuff to get into, but yeah, I uh, kind of just get your overall impressions to start this thing off. Man, I was under some stress at the end of that game because we have to have our live takeaways <laughs> from what happened, and I had probably three different versions of that outcome of the game written. You know, oh, the Colts are going to win. Oh, no, they're going to lose. Oh, they're going to win. And then obviously they ended up winning in overtime and one of the most improbable memorable fashions with Matt Gay kicking a 53 yard field goal, his fourth 50 yarder 50 yard plus rather kick of the day, first player in NFL history to do so. And my initial reaction was one, wow, they're two and one. That is a win that you look back on and you say, that's one that maybe we found out who we are. And then on the Ravens side, that's one where you come, you know, December, you're like, man, if we're fighting for a playoff spot or seating, that's when we let, you know, fall by the wayside because they had so many self-inflicted wounds that the Colts did just enough to capitalize on and ultimately win the game. And fun fact for all those listening, I know Gardner Minshew threw the touchdown pass, but all of the points scored yesterday for the Colts were by Utah Utes. So that was... Pretty <laughs> incredible, you know, incredible performance by Matt Gay. A very tough, gutty performance by also Zach Moss. And again, I just remember going down to the locker room thinking you can never really count out the dramatics of the NFL. Because even beyond our game that I was at, the one thing I love about this league is that it's chaotic every week. You can never truly pick it's almost like march madness you pick your perfect bracket it's hard man because i mean you see what the cardinals did to dallas and other teams and so that's why they play the games and i felt like that was a win that ejp alluded to it brings you together brings you close and he was talking about the playoffs i'm like i don't know about all that but you have to feel good about that where they are right now and i mean if they keep this up they're a team that could spoil some um, other teams' plans and the biggest takeaway beyond winning that game was that they've been in every game so far this season, which is a far cry from what I expected, just considering what the season are coming off of some of the deficiencies and, you know, in their, in their group, in their team, and then the newness of it all, new QB, new coach. But I mean, Shane Steichen has these guys locked in Jim locked in. Feisty. I mean, like I, said, I think a lot, you hear the cliche that you don't get a chance to really know what a team is and through the first four weeks, you need the quarter of the season. We're three, three, three games now, the Colts, and they're two and one. They've been in all the games, like you said. I think we're getting the impression, and I tweeted this yesterday, but 
they're going to be in every game. Like they're going to be feisty again. They'll, maybe they'll get blown out once or twice or whatever that happens. So we shoot the Cowboys, like you said, didn't that wasn't really a close game with the Cardinals, but they're going to be in every game. They're going to be, I think, a little bit better than we all thought. Now, again, as you alluded to, I think a hundred percent in January, December, whatever it is, the Ravens are ultimately going to be the better team with the better record. And they're going to look back and go, how do we, how do we kind of punt this game against the Colts? But I think the uplifting thing, if you're a Colts fan, is that a team tried to tried to give you a win and you took it. Like yes. that was it. They were, they were good enough to take it. They were just good enough to take it. It took overtime. It took some, like I said, some heroics, but they were good enough to take it on the road. That's big. I mean, beating Baltimore on the road, that's a really good football team. I'm not getting ahead of myself. I don't want to say the playoffs are, you know, for the Colts, but Jacksonville looks a little discombobulated right now for sure. Houston looks better than we all thought, but again, I don't think they're going to go on some sort of like long run and Tennessee got smashed by Cleveland yesterday. And they're obviously figuring some stuff out too, as a team kind of going through like a soft rebuild. So there's no reason that come December, they can't be in the hunt. I mean, I don't see any reason why they couldn't be there. Yeah. I think that's one of my big picture takeaways as well is that we haven't seen Jacksonville flip that switch to being the big brother of the AFC South where no one else really has a chance. It feels like it's wide open right now. And if the Colts keep this up, it could remain that way to where maybe they do surprise some people. Now I'm not going so far as say like the playoffs and all that type of stuff, because it's early and the season is long and weird things happen in the NFL. But if I'm a member of that team, I probably feel like we have a shot. We have a chance and they do. And I think it's because of the coaching, the coaching. It feels like these guys bought into Shane Steichen, who couldn't care less about what he tells us because he is, you know, <laughs> the driest coach <laughs> on the mic ever. And what's funny is even after Matt Gay has a day like yesterday, I think he might have had 10 words on the guy. And, you know, he said something like, you know, he was on fire. Great kicker. That's why we got him. I'm like, well. Oh, wow, gonna write a book off that. <laughs> but it doesn't matter though. Seriously, I mean, it matters for my job, but it doesn't matter to the guy in the locker room. The guys in the locker room love that dude. They feel like he's a true football guy. And there is an edge. And I think people carry that edge differently. I don't think that Frank Reich doesn't have an edge. I don't think you can be an NFL coach and coach at the highest level of your sport, and not have an edge. It just shows in different ways, but it is more outward with Shane Steichen. It is more, it seems more cutthroat. It seems more, we talked about it before they came on the pod, like even the little gamesmanship within the game, like getting the Ravens to call a timeout when they didn't want to because he's rotating guys in and out and, and kind of, you know, nod and wink to, to John Harbaugh like, hey, you know, I'm going to make you do things you don't want to do. That sort of edge, that thinking, that is what has these guys bought into him. And I think they appreciate his attention to detail in all aspects, every little thing i mean he even gave a thing one day we were talking to him um just me and some of the other reporters where he talked about the challenge flag and how with the challenge flag you have to when you throw it as a as a coach the challenge is initiated when the thing when the when the flag hits the ground so some coaches you'll see throw it out like far to get the ref's attention he just throws it straight down if he wants to challenge because it's the quickest like way to get like to get to the ground. And it's like that split second could be the difference between a team getting an extra playoff because they didn't really catch the ball or having it be reviewed and overturned. That's how he thinks Jim. And that's how he thinks about everything. And so while he doesn't reveal that every so often, like, you know, there are some little nuggets here and there where you're like, wow, this guy really cares. 
And you can tell that his guys are bought in. And he isn't pretending. He isn't like some tough bravado or man's man type of guy, like, or, or he doesn't have the, you know, former player cachet. He's just, he's himself. And he's, he has a lot of conviction in that. And I think that lends itself to having guys believe in him and having that trickle down effect throughout the team. Because yesterday, it felt like everyone got their hand in there, believed in him to, you know, trust in his plan and then make it work some kind of way. And they did to their credit. And and I thought that it was, I mean, uh, an improbable win. I did not expect them to win personally. I picked them to lose, but that's why you play. And I'm sure I'll have to like uh, deal with some of that, that, that pushback this week. But as I always say, prove me wrong. And, and I'm, not, I'm not, none of the guys are like, you know, I mean about that at all. I'm just joking, but it is cool to kind of see the fruits of the, some of the, the seeds he's planted. And I mean, the guy, Shane Thiken cares a ton. And these guys are, are adapting and morphing into more of his identity. And I think it shows in the way they play. I couldn't agree more. I think the attention to detail stuff like, I, and again, this is something I you saw yesterday was like, he caused the Ravens to burn a timeout. And Harbaugh, Harbaugh is like, a, I mean, that guy came, that's a special teams background. So like he was challenging him on his turf. You know what I mean? So that was, and he caused him to burn a timeout. And then Harbaugh responds and I give him credit for, you know, messing with them back a little bit, making him take the delay game penalty by walking his guys on as a substitute. It was great. It was great gamesmanship, but uh, you and I were talking before we started up this pod. It's awesome. I think for Colts, for the Colts players and Colts fans to know, you know, I think a lot of people wondered, you're going to call plays and be the head coach. Like that's a lot. A lot of people have passed off those responsibilities. That's, that's a lot to handle. He is thinking next level on these things while also managing to dial up. I mean, a pretty good offensive game plan. I don't get me wrong. The Colts offense is still kind of finding its way, uh, but they've managed to run the ball pretty effectively yesterday. We've seen some great things out of Anthony Richardson in those first couple of weeks. You know, I mean, I'm sorry, in the first quarter or so in the, in the yeah, Texans game change. last week. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, He's dialed in. Like you said, he's locked in. I love that flag story. That is fantastic. Like that. What a cool, what a cool, like he's thinking about everything, every detail, man. I, 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 again, as a Colts fan, and this is not, again, I feel like this is going to be taken and you had mentioned him already, but as some sort of reflection on Frank Reich, who I covered, they're separate entities. Like, and I think Frank Reich was had, had a high attention to detail as well. And things didn't go well at the end and whatever. We don't get into all that, but Shane Steichen, man, like for as boring as he can be with you guys, like, he is fun to watch. Is that is that a weird like is, like is that the way to, he's a fun to watch head coach? I mean, and also he started to show a little bit of emotion. Like we saw the video in the halftime locker room. I think the players gotta love that. I think the guys that are more reserved, more quiet most of the time, but then kind of explode with emotion. I think you rally behind that a little bit. There's something in him. There, there there's that dog as we talk about with players. Like he's got some dog in him as a coach, and they appreciate that. And he and he wears it again authentically. Like it's not faking it. And so to see his reaction, to see those guys gut it out, that was one of those wins where I was like, wow, that's a maybe we didn't do everything right, but it was right in the end type of win. <laughs> because, and, and that's one of those ones where you just look up and you're like, a kid, they count all the same because it was not pretty. It was not easy. They definitely had their miscues and their issues because, I mean, if you'd have told me, hey, Gardner Mitchell is going to step out of the back of the end zone, just over two minutes left in the game, and they're going to give the ball back to the Ravens. I would have t- said, "Hey, you know they're up. Ravens are up three. They're going to win the game." The defense held, forced three and out. They get the ball back. The offense does just enough to get within range, and then Matt Gay kind of swoops in and saves the day. It's funny you mentioned the cape 
because that's exactly what Michael Pittman Jr. said. He was like, he's like, he had the Superman cape today. You know, he helped us. He was the hero. And while he was the hero of the day, there were several heroic, you know, type of efforts or Herculean efforts throughout that game. You know, you see Zach Moss get rolled up on really bad. There was actually a, a still picture of it that I, my buddies over at the Indy Star uh, showed me after the game. You know, Jenna Watson, who's over there, she's amazing photographer. She caught it and it looked so bad. When you ever see a still like of an injury, it looks horrific. And I was like, how did this guy end the game? And he was talking to us after the game and Shane Steichen didn't mention anything about it lingering. He might pop up on the injury report this week. But the fact that he gutted it out and the phrase that he used to me was, I couldn't leave my guys. You know, I couldn't leave those guys. I couldn't leave them hanging. That was a thought process that kind of permeated throughout that entire team where you had multiple guys stepping up, making plays. You had EJ Speed, you know, forcing an incompletion, I believe, on the Ravens' last, you know, offense play of the game that ultimately led to Matt Gay kicking the game winner. You had Julius Brents making his debut and really making his debut with a huge momentum swinging forced fumble in the first half to, you know, lock him in and make sure that the game was going to be tightly contested throughout. And then you also had, you know, Grover Stewart and, you know, Samson uh, Ebukam getting pressure. You saw Quiddy Pay get a huge sack. So it seemed like at every turn, I guess one of the downsides of being a reporter sometimes is like you want to tell every single story, you know, of that game, every single person that you want to give them sign. But it's like, ah, some of these guys, I got to, you know, I got to revisit you, you know, come Monday or Tuesday because there was absolutely a story I could have written, a full feature story I could have written on Julius Brents and how wild it is for him to be, you know, missing so much time early on, come back in, you know, start. He didn't technically start the game, but he was the starting, you know, cornerback after they came out of their base defense. He was phenomenal. Samson Ebukam, who was, you know, an underrated, kind of under-the-radar signing gem, he had a huge impact. I mean, Quiddy Pay, everyone's asking him to make a jump this year. He made a big impact. So, again, you could just pick any guy in the locker room yesterday, and you would have had a compelling story about a compelling win and right now what I believe to be a compelling team. Okay, I have to ask this question, and I feel bad that I'm about to do it because I don't necessarily know that I feel this way, but when you said it, I immediately – it just jumped into my brain, so I'm going to bring it up because – the thing we're going to be talking about very soon, if not later this week, is Jonathan Taylor. Dun, dun, dun. And the thing that Zach Moss said about not being able to leave his guys for the season or, you know, in the moment. And Jonathan Taylor made that decision. Well, I shouldn't say that. He's hurt. He's hurt. Hey, you said it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> My side of this is these guys deserve to get paid. I'm more of a players get paid to get when you can kind of guy. He's played, you know, he wants to get his money before, before he gets hurt. And, you know. Zach Moss's situation is different. Zach Moss is a story that things didn't work out in Buffalo the way he'd hoped, and he's never been paid, and he's trying to kind of prove himself again here. So it's different. It's very, very, very different. That said, it is interesting to at least think about. What was your reaction? I mean, I don't know. I I don't know if you thought of it when you said it, but that was kind of what that would kind of rung in my head when you said it. No, it definitely, maybe not in the moment last night when I was reading the story back and kind of going through the quotes. We're three weeks into the season, and we're together. We're bonded. We're all working toward a common goal. And so, well, I don't know how hurt JT is, if he's really hurt, if he's not really hurt, all those things. You know, obviously there was that NFL grievance that they filed against the NFLPA, basically trying to allege that, you know, the the NFL running backs were given, you know, the green lights to basically fake injuries and stuff like that. And obviously the elephant in the room was Jonathan Taylor 
And is he really hurt? Is he not? We don't know how hurt he is because he hasn't talked since June. But the bottom line is hurt, not hurt, contract, no contract, whatever. It feels like we're three weeks into the season. Next will be will be a month into the season, a month into the season. Everyone in that locker room bought in, to my knowledge. I, I don't think there's anyone in there right now who, who isn't working towards wins and doing it together and doing whatever it takes to put a W in that column except for JT because he just isn't there right now. Even Jelani Woods is around the team, and we don't see JT. We don't see him anywhere during practice, during the open locker room. You know, I know that he's been in the building, but we don't see him. And so that is something that needs to be addressed, I think, and it will have to be addressed either to, you know, this week or next week because a week from today, he becomes eligible to rejoin the 53-man roster. And so decisions have to be made about, is he going to rejoin this team? And if so, how does, re, how does he reintegrate? And then if you do, there is no halfway in or halfway out in the NFL. Because not only from a team-building perspective or from a management perspective, the players, they're going to look at all the guys in the locker and they want to know that you're all working towards a common goal. And if you're not doing that, it is personal at that point. It does feel like, okay, if this guy's not with us, then he's got to, you know, he's got to go. So I'm curious to see how it plays out. And like I told you before we came on air, before we began recording this podcast, that did not feel like a team that was missing a running back yesterday. It was a team that I thought was like, okay, yeah, if they had their quarterback today, they probably win by, you know, uh, two scores or something like that. Or they, or they probably went a lot easier or they went in regulation. Now, obviously, things change. You know, who's to say Anthony Richardson, if you just plug them in, the, the Colts automatically win very easily. But to me, it felt like, the deficiencies in their offense was because they didn't have the usual playmaker or the guy they built their entire offense around out there. Now they streamlined a bunch of stuff. They had a week to kind of prepare, but it's still not the same as building an entire offense for the the whole offseason around a very dynamic talent. And again, Zach Moss, to his credit, has been really good for the Colts since he's, you know, been here. And, and it felt like he started last year, ended with a hundred yard game against Houston that everyone kind of just glossed over because that was not anything to write about at that time. Then he's kind of come back and proven, oh, it's not a fluke. You know, debut a week ago after breaking his arm in the preseason, he goes for 88 yards, has a touchdown, very, you know, solid game, comes back a week later and totes 30 carries, career-high 30 carries. You know, he was asked the last time he did 30 carries, he was like, man, that had to be college. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't happen in the NFL, honestly. Even for the great running backs, they don't get 30 carries that often. But that lets you know how much it meant for him to be out there and to gut it out. And so it is something we have to factor into the JT calculation because after week one, it was like, oh, man, JT stock is going up. It looks great. You know, they don't have any run game. Then Zach Moss came back and it was like, you know what? Maybe life without JT isn't all that bad. I don't know, man. It's interesting to say the least. And I, I, I'm hoping, Jim, that we'll hear from uh, Jonathan Taylor, but I'm not holding my breath. If they do want to move on from Jonathan Taylor, and we're now we're getting way off track here, and we'll, I promise, guys, we'll go back to talking about the game here in just a few minutes. But I don't know if you saw, but I think I the Miami see. Dolphins is is functioning just fine without Jonathan Taylor. We just <laughs> talked about this in the press box after the game. Yes. <laughs> They don't I mean, really need him. No, they, they don't. They don't. Why would you? I mean, every they literally could have set a record yesterday. Yeah, and they just the, chose not to. The, the pettiness in me would have done it. Uh, I mean, I'm the guy who, if we're close to history, I'm doing it. And if you want me to stop, stop me, oh, well, don't care. But the fact that they won by 50 
and put 50. up 70. I mean, 70 points is, is pretty crazy. So, again, not to get too far off track, like you said, getting back to the Colts, Zach Moss, he feels like a dude that they want to rally around. Feels like a guy that's won a locker room over. And I'm not pitting them against each other. It's just the fact is one guy is there and one guy isn't. And by default, you're going to gravitate towards the guy you just saw, you know, limp his way through a game to help you gut one out on the road is what it is. Incredibly well said. I couldn't agree more. And again, I back to Steichen for a second. I mean, doesn't have Anthony Richardson, who is, let's be honest, the focal point of the offense and the run game, too. And he still manages to get a really good run game. 30 carries, 122 yards for Zach Moss. Sermon was a little bit not as good. Five carries, 17 yards. But, I mean, they were pretty successful. I looked. At, I just looked at a 40% success rate on the ground against a pretty good Ravens defense when you didn't have Anthony Richardson and you kind of had to adjust your run scheme. And again, you know, Gardner Minshew, we should get into that now. I think showed, you know, he did just enough to make Baltimore have to respect him in the passing game. I mean, to give him a lot of credit, that pass to Zach Moss on the touchdown. Ooh. Ooh, so nice. I mean, he he can do that too. He can do that. Like he, and that's why he is, as you wrote, probably the best backup in the NFL. I mean, credit to Andy Dalton yesterday, by the way, who had a really good game. But he can do that, um, and they can win games with him. I don't know. You gave me a little bit of uh, a little bit of shit for bringing up <laughs> trading Gardner Minshew on the last podcast, and you wrote about it. So oh, I was like, yeah. and, and now they win it. Now they win a game with him. Where are you on the? If you know, if it's somebody called, are 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 you just say, hey, let's let's let let's let it roll, man. Well, man. Maybe this team makes the playoffs. We threw this question out there in the media room because obviously I got a lot of, uh, I'll say, jealousy from my peers, and I'm choking. They were like, why the <laughs> heck are you mentioning the Jets and, and Gardner mentioned? I was like, and they read the story and they were all laughing about it because they, they knew um, it was just like kind of like a fun thought exercise. And I think that's um, one thing that I appreciated you for even pointing me in that direction. It's like. Everything we do doesn't have to be super duper, you know, hardcore serious. It can be, you know, reasonable. I thought it was a reasonable exercise to do and something that was timely. And obviously after yesterday, you're thinking, okay, does the team come calling? But I don't think they get rid of that dude. I think they keep him. But there are limitations. I I thought that he held them back yesterday. And he really, I mean, outside of that one throw to Zach Moss, there were some other ones where it was like, man, you know, you missed this guy or some of the protection stuff. I don't know whose fault it was, whether it was him, whether it was, you know, Wesley French being the, the, the backup center in there. But the fact that Kyle Hamilton had three sacks on the same exact type of blitz package where, I mean, Gardner Minshew just had no clue that he was even coming. Again, Gardner is that safety valve. He's kind of been that throughout his career where you have a chance. And like I said, he might not win you a game, but he won't lose you a game. And he didn't lose him the game yesterday. And, you know, that one touchdown he provided, as much as we talk about Matt Gay and his points, it mattered. And, I mean, you can get on the guy and say, hey, he didn't do this, he didn't do that. He had one really good throw that, you know, early in the game, you might have been like, oh, okay. It mattered late. It mattered a ton late because without that, you're not in the game. And so he was the guy who was fired up. And like Juju, who was like, you know, heading the, heading the grass. And he was, you know, Gardner Minshew on a knee praying and um, some of the guys I didn't even include in there. EJ's was like, no, I knew it was going in. You know, I, you know, that's, <laughs> you know, he's the goat. He's this. And I'm like, okay. And the goat. Got, I love right. it. <laughs> and then you got Zaire Franklin, who's, you know, he's, I'm walking out of the locker room with him. Cause he's like, you know, already dressed at that point. So literally talked to him for 15 minutes. He's like, he's like, ah, oh, you know, he said, I'm a little superstitious, but I got faith in my boy Madden. So again, it just felt like that was one of those, those moments where the guys were able to rally around someone who, had a great performance. And then on top of that, 
you're looking at a, a team that under Shane Sykin feels like if they get their quarterback back, they they can do some things and have some say, particularly in their their uh, division because it's not you know super top heavy. It's kind of wide open right now. And that has to be enticing for them. And then to give them credit there, you know, there were some guys, you know, kind of taking the underdog approach after the game, which every athlete throughout the history of mankind has always done. (laughs) But there is some validity to that because I I mean, there's not many people that picked the Colts to be two and one at this point. So they deserve to be able to talk that talk after yesterday, man, there's nothing like a football locker room after win or loss. Because you put so much into it, and so you just see like how, how much it means to these guys, which, again, alludes to a lot of other factors hanging over this team right now. I mean, you can't add a guy back into that mix who's not feeling like that after that moment. So um, I, I definitely would have paid to see uh, you know, JT's reaction to everything yesterday. It was, it, was a good, it was a good game. It was a really good game. Gardner Minshew, not going to be anybody's franchise quarterback, but he did enough to get him over the hump, and that's kind of who he is, man. He, he's uh, I asked him about the stepping out of the end zone, and he was just like, you know what? I told the guys we got more time. We got another chance. And it wasn't one of those things. It's not. They, they, they did not feel like the Jets was Zach, well, Zach Wilson was like, we don't have our guy. We're not going to. We don't have any chance. They kind of like, all right, yeah, we trust you. And that's the difference, and that's, and that's why he's so valuable. All right, so two things I want to bring up on the Gardner Minshew thing. I agree with you on the on pretty much everything you said on that. I I I, I do want to give him credit also for I look I'm looking at the, I'm just looking at the basic stats here, and he dropped you know he threw 44 passes, and 23 of the targets went to Michael Pittman and Josh Downs. I just I like that he is fa- looking for his best players, his best playmakers in the open field. I mean the the, 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 the play that, incredible, and he just threw it up to him. Yeah, that was a trust throw. And I again I I give I give Minshew a lot of credit for that because he was like <laughs> I'm going to trust my guy to go make that play, and he did and. Josh Downs, like that was his best game. Eight catches. I know he's not a lot of yards, but he's a, sh- he's a safety valve underneath right now. Eight catches, fifty-seven yards on but twelve targets. But he moves targets. the chains. He exactly moves the yardage. That's all that matters with him. It doesn't matter how many yards he's. Ne- I don't think he's gonna be. I mean, he could grow into that, but he's not gonna be some game-breaking, take the top off the defense type of player. He's gonna be the guy that annoys you when you're on third and seven or third and six, and he picks it up to keep some drive alive. And as we talk about with baseball, it's like the great teams score with two outs. The great teams in football convert on third down or they score on third down. So they make you pay on third down. He's that make you pay type of player. So I can all dial it up too. Like you're going to stay like, there's going to be defenses that are going to go, okay, downs over the middle, over the middle, over the middle, over the middle and, and, and short. And then all of a sudden he's going to do a little out and up or a little like break over the top. And he'll make a big play. It's going to happen. Like, they're going to set this up. Second's smart enough to do it. Downs is talented enough to do it. We saw him in North Carolina. The guy made some big plays. But as you said, his specialty won't be that. It will be over the middle, catching these six, seven, eight-yard passes, picking and moving the chains. That's what he does. And it's great to have a slot guy like that, especially in an RPO-heavy offense with Anthony Richardson, who's going to be able to read a linebacker, pop right over to Josh Downs. He's a perfect fit for what they want to do. Now, I don't want to bring the mood down, but you kind of mentioned, I'm looking at, you know, I'm looking through the box score a little bit more. I see... The Colts recovered three fumbles, two lost by the Ravens, one they lost by themselves. So that's a lot of fumble luck going their way in a game like that. And I was just telling you before we started here, defensively, this team is is seventh in EPA, which is, I mean, they're that's they're sniffing around like Pittsburgh Steelers territory right now. Saints, like who have had a dominant defense. So I, you know, I was like, I was investigating those numbers a little bit today and going, okay, well, how's that happening? And like, how are they being? How they're not? They're, maybe they're not that good. And 
what I'm seeing, and I was telling you this, they're 25th in pressure right now on defense, and yet they have the second most sacks in the NFL with 12. That is probably an unsustainable rate. And they're also, like I said, they're recovering some fumbles. So I just want to bring up the idea that defensively, especially, things might not keep going this way. Again, I think it means something. It definitely means something that they took advantage of the opportunities that the Ravens gave them yesterday. But don't let's also not, let's be clear, they haven't shot themselves in the foot a few times. Yeah, and they were extremely depleted as well. I mean, we talked to, you know, our guy, uh, the Jeff Zrebeck. How, how do I say his last name? <laughs> I think you got it. Yeah. My guy, the Ravens reporter for us, Jeff Zrebeck. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Jeff, I love you. He talked about how depleted they were and how injured they, they were and how it's basically like a theme in Baltimore. Every year, they're always super, super banged up. And it's like Lamar Jackson, whoever else is available every week. So there is some factor there. But I think this is a classic case of you got a few breaks and they want your way and you took advantage of them because the NFL is fluky like that in a sense. I'm mean, looking at the Vikings who are 0-3 right now, I believe. And last year, I believe they were like you know, either undefeated or like only lost one game and like one score games. And then this year, they've had three one-score games and haven't won any. And so sometimes it's just like that. So I think the Colts have done a great job of capitalizing on their opportunities and you know, getting home when they do get that pressure or making the most of an opportunity when they do get that play. And is it sustainable? No, because I think the data over not only just this year, just in general, years of data shows that's probably not going to going to correlate. You can't be almost last in pressure and then be first in, in, in the success rate of those pressures or, or the success rate of your sacks over an extended period of time. That's just not how it works unless you're, you know, modern day high school football, which is like the, the biggest, best program or IMG Academy playing some 1A school here in Indiana where it's just, you're just out-talenting them. It doesn't work at the NFL level. But if I'm the Colts, you don't apologize for it because no. there's going to be some some breaks that you don't get and some plays that you probably should have made. And, I mean, it's weird. Even with interceptions and things like that, one, you know, tip pass here, one drop pass there, and it's an interception or it's a fumble or whatever. And I felt like that's a classic case of the Ravens not taking care of their own food. And if you're not going to take your take, take care of your own food and you're in a dog fight, the other dog's going to get it. And that's what the Colts did yesterday. And so, yeah, I think that it's something to be said. But I do think their defensive front is legit, though. Uh, like we talked about before we came on the podcast, the reason why their pressure rate is so low is because they don't want to get beat in coverage and put their guys in a lot of man-to-man situations, which I don't think they, they would thrive in. However, we talked about Shane Steichen and, and, and how he coaches and how he approaches things. He's also, it seems like, a no-nonsense guy. There is no buffer zone for his standard. And so we saw that with Deion Jackson getting released that Saturday before the game. And then, obviously, Trey, Trey Sermon got elevated as the backup. Deion Jackson had a horrible game you know, when he was relied upon in the season opener. And that basically cast the end of his time here in Indianapolis. Daryl Baker Jr. And I'll, I'll say this, too. Daryl Baker Jr. had not started or even I don't even think played any defensive snaps in the NFL prior to this season. So they were banking on a guy who hadn't done it yet. And he struggled. He struggled against Houston. They really picked on him in, in TJ Stroud and the Texans. They, they, they picked him apart. He was a healthy scratch. He went from being a starter in week two to a healthy scratch in week three. Then started Julius Brents, and he looked like the second round pick they, they expected him to be. I mean, that guy was physical, he was fast, he was forceful, he was someone who made 
a big impact on that game, and it made you feel like, oh, yeah, that job's his now. You're not getting it back. And that's Shane Steichen. He's not going to allow you to stay out there, quote-unquote, just because you don't have anything else. He'll find something else some kind of way and at least give another guy a chance. And to be honest, it was always Julius Brent's chance. It was just, can he get healthy enough to put him out there where he isn't a deer in headlights? And yesterday, I mean, that play that he made, that was obviously a combination of, you know, coaching, you know, punching the ball out, those things. But it also speaks to who he is as a player. He is someone who cares a lot because you can't make that play if you don't. He ran down Kenyon Drake after a huge game. And not only did he tackle him, which would which would have been enough. You stop a touchdown, you stop a big game, whatever. He punches the ball out, and then he goes and dives on it for a huge turnover. So, again, a lot of guys yesterday who stepped up. And that defense really was excited for him. I asked Julian Blackman about it, and he was like, Juju, welcome to the league. And then you got DJ Speed. Like, I knew it. We all knew it. Y'all didn't know it. I'm like, dang, EJ, I don't practice with you. I'm sorry. You could have told me. You could have gave me the inside scoop. But, again, they were really excited for him. <laughs> and, I mean, Jim, the guy is big. Juju is big. I looked at you know, standing next to him like, wow, this is this is a big cornerback. This is a guy corner. who, yeah, he, he can make an impact. You and I were talking before, too. I give Gus Bradley credit because they, they're not putting these guys in positions to fail. I mean, I know Colts fans got annoyed watching the Matt Eberflus defense sit back and get picked apart. And you're kind of watching that happen with the Gus Bradley defense now, but they're not giving up a lot of big plays. I mean, I look at, like I said, I just had the numbers up. I think they are eighth in passer rating allowed. I I guess you could go the other way. 20, whatever, fourth, 99.3. There aren't that many teams that are uh, worse than him, but, or them, I should say. But it's kind of okay because, like I said, they're not putting their, they're not, they're not blitzing a lot. We talked about they have one of the lowest blitz rates in the NFL. They're not playing any man coverage. They're number two. They have the 31st in man coverage. They're playing almost exclusively zone, almost a ton of cover three. What he's doing right now is giving these young corners, this young secondary time to get good at the things that just giving them little, you know, little things at a time to get good at. Let's get good at this thing first. And again, he plays a lot of cover three anyway. So that's what he's going to do. But again, he's not putting him in positions to fail. And so I think that works. It might not ever lead to you having a top five defense, but keeping you in games, keeping you from giving up big plays and keeping your corners from losing confidence by getting guy by, you know, getting beat over the top or getting, you know, forced into man coverage against, you know, elite level receivers that will do that. Now, in this situation, they're not having that as much. Again, they're still getting picked apart a little bit. You know, CJ Stroud did it a little bit. Trevor Lawrence did it a little bit. We'll see what happens in the in the future. They got Stafford coming up. Trevor Lawrence again. Sean Watson looked pretty decent last week. So, or this on Sunday, I should say. So they're going to have to figure out ways to contain passing games a little bit better. And like we talked about, their front seven is good and, and they will get pressure. I just, you're not going to typically convert that much pressure into sacks as they are doing currently. So you're going to have to, and again, fumble wise, they picked up a couple yesterday, a little bit of luck, a little bit of luck, but again, you take advantage of the ones that you're given. But overall, I mean, you got to be encouraged. I thought this defense, frankly, honestly, going into the year, I thought this was going to be one of the worst defenses in the NFL just because of the secondary and them going to get exposed by it. And the front seven's been better than I thought. The secondary's been better than I thought. And it's a huge credit to Juju Brents, like you said, being ready for ready for his moment and making an impact play. I love there was a quote in your story yesterday about, about forcing the fumble from Kenyon Drake. And he's saying, hey, I, I saw him in training camp. He was with the Colts for him, and I knew he carried the ball a little bit loose. I know where to go. That's, hey, man, that's smart thinking. If that's what he was thinking in that play, that's great. I was like, man, nothing is a secret in the NFL. It just isn't. And in the middle of that play, I was thinking, wow, the Colts had that guy. 
And then Juju Brents was like, wait a second, we got Zach Moss. <laughs> so <laughs> it, was, it, it was quite it was quite a performance for him. And then him being the indie kid, although this wasn't in Indianapolis, it had to feel good because I can, I can only imagine the pressure that's on you when you're drafted to your hometown team. You don't play your first two games. You're probably going to billion text messages for people. Why aren't you playing? Who you, you know, why aren't you in there? You could be starting right now. And then he gets to just play the game that he loves, the game he grew up playing here in Indianapolis and play it at a, at a really high level yesterday. He looked like a dude. He looked like a dude. And you need dudes in the NFL. Like, I know you have players, but you need dudes. And, and I felt like they had a few, more than a few on the field yesterday with, again, Samson Ebukam. Then you also have, you know, Grover and, and, and Buck who do what they do every week and, and force teams to just run to the outside. I mean, how often do those guys get any runs up the middle? Because it just, it just, it's a futile, you know, experiment. It's, it's just dumb, honestly. Don't do it. And then you had, you know, guys on the back end who stepped up as well. And so, um, and then Zaire, like I said in the middle, who is a guy. And then EJ Speed for the second straight week played at least fifty percent of the defensive snaps. And we haven't talked about it a lot. Shaq Leonard's been out there. He's been playing all right, but the best linebacker for this defense right now is Zaire Franklin. And then you look at, you know, uh, what EJ speed is doing, what you hope Shaq Leonard can continue to become, or at least return to the level he, he, he was at. And you have one of the best linebacker groups in the league potentially. And so they, they feel like they're trending in the right direction and it all, you know, is a moot point. If Matt Gay doesn't have the most historic day, a great day. And I encourage you all to read that story. It wasn't just about yesterday's moment, yesterday's game. It includes, you know, his background of being a former star soccer player and not just like star. Well, like we think, Oh, he's pretty good in high school. I did was legit. You know, he played division one soccer and then, you know, uh, switch over back to football. And in his first season at Utah, you know, won the award for being the nation's best kicker. So this is a guy who is really good at two sports and the one that he ultimately chose over soccer, which is football. He's now reached sort of the, the, the top of he's in that cream of the crop, but it wasn't, you know, all linear. He talked about his ups and downs I talked to him about it actually when he first got signed here, because fun fact, for those who don't know, this is his second time within the Colts' organization. First time around, he wasn't this guy. He wasn't the highest paid, you know, free agent kicker. He wasn't that dude. And so he talked about that candidly. And so it was really cool to kind of dive into not only that moment, but his background and then tie it all together with some of the other peripheral performances from Julius Brents, Zach Moss and others. And like I said, I couldn't fit it all in there. I mean, I know I sent you a, a book yesterday, but um, it's kind of sometimes it lends itself to that. But also you can never fit it all in there because seriously, they talk about it being a team effort. That was a team win yesterday. There was no you know, one guy who could have did it all by himself. You have those games where you think, okay, this dude is the reason they won. Yes, it was Matt Gay, but, I mean, he doesn't have his opportunities if the defense doesn't get stops. You know, he doesn't have his opportunities if Zach Moss doesn't keep those legs turning and ground grind out a 13-yard run when he's on a bum leg. And so those are the performances, like EJP alluded to, that can bring you together, push you in the right direction, and potentially make the season – a lot more interesting and a lot more interesting ways than I anticipated. And I'm all for that. I mean, we're here for the storylines, right? Jim, we're here for the, 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 the clicks and the memes and then the traffic (laughs) or whatever else. But from a more personal standpoint, we're here for the stories. And that was a really good story yesterday. And it was fun to 
kind of bring everyone into that environment and what it looked like beyond TV. Because, I mean, walking down to that room and then hearing the music blasting and all the guys and then him them, them being all disappointed when we came in and they cut the music off for copyright reasons for all the TV people. They're like, oh, man. So it, it was very like high school, you know, locker room. And that's to me, Jim, like one of the best parts about our job is we get to see grown men and, and I've covered women's sports as well, grown women who after these moments revert back to being kids. Yeah. And so, it, they, I mean, you see Grove and, and Buck and these guys are huge, giant men. And they're like jumping around and giggling and, and laughing and, you know, smiling like a bunch of kids. And that was uh, what was the reaction yesterday after Matt Gay's, like I said, just historic day in a house that, you know, Justin Tucker has, you know, become a legend in. He was a legend yesterday. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And again, it is a blast covering those live. I mean, again, you don't root for the teams that you cover to win, but it is way more fun to cover a team that is winning. That is a, is a you know, bump in locker room. That That is just that is just way more fun to be in. Typically, more stories emerge from that. And that's that's what we're here for. So last thing before we wrap it up here, I just wanted to like kind of again, I felt like I brought the mood down saying there was some luck involved and all that stuff yesterday. So I just wanted to say I'm looking at the schedule now and I just want to say, like, you tell me if you think there's a game in the next let's see, seven or eight weeks that you think they're definitely going to lose. They're definitely going to lose. Oh, that they won't be in. Ready? Home against the Rams. Home against the Titans. At Jacksonville. Home against the Browns. Home against the, the Saints. At Carolina. And then we'll stop here. I mean, not to say this is it, but home against the Patriots. Just for fun. I say that because that's there's a bye week after that. So, Assuming Anthony Richardson is healthy, Bill Belichick in Germany against a rookie quarterback, I'm going to go out there and say right now, I don't expect the Colts to win that game because what Bill Belichick does to young quarterbacks is very mean. But we're talking about, what, week nine or whatever? I'm not even saying win. I just mean you're going to like, yeah, it's a loss. Like, yeah, I, no. I just don't I don't see it. There isn't one of those. And, and their schedule is pretty light this year, which obviously would help them. But I think regardless of the schedule – Shane Steichen has these guys bought in and you see that edge kind of come out and we won't, we will never, ever, ever see it. I'm convinced in press conferences or media settings, which is why I, I used the quote from the locker room that they posted because that was more of who he is or what I've learned about who he is because he's a guy who is, you know, very nice, um, very private to the media because um, he doesn't want to leak anything about what his scheme is, what they want to do. But when it comes time to, you know, put the the hammer to the nail he's that guy and so um i'm excited to see what it all means going forward assuming also the anthony richardson is back this week he didn't make the he did travel to baltimore he was there uh he was in the video afterward when they had the, the guys come off the field and he was just in in his hoodie and everyone's screaming and yelling you got calm ar walking by like you know god did god did and you know, the Colts are probably like, you know, you know, God bless them and get them back on the field so we can <laughs> see what we're really capable of. That's what it felt like. It felt like they they showed something, and it's like, okay, what does it look like now? We add this this big piece back to the mix, and so, uh, like I said, I'm excited for it because this is to me some of the most fun times of the year. I mean, when, when we're in football season and it's going like this, you never know what each week will bring. I mean, we saw history yesterday, and. Maybe we'll see a little bit more with a guy like Anthony Richardson leading the way because we've never seen anything like him before. So I'm definitely excited for that. Hard to wrap it up any better than that. So I'll just say here, thank you for joining James and I on the Upper Quartile Podcast, and we'll talk to you guys again soon. <laughs>